The main purpose of the stock market is to make fools of as many people as possible. Bernard Baruch. Welcome to Solving the Financial Puzzle, where we seek to unravel the mysteries of personal finance. Join us as we help you put together the pieces of your own financial puzzle. This is Solving the Financial Puzzle with certified financial planner, Dan Caprell. Welcome to another edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle podcast. I am your host, Dan Caprill, where each and every month we delve into the area of personal finance viewed by many as being overly complicated, but in reality, I don't think it is very much at all. And we spend a great deal of this time showing you just how simple it is. Once you get over the fact that the future is not predictable, once you accept the reality that you can't get 10% each and every year, once you accept the reality that negative returns are just a part of life, and as much as we dislike them, we really can't avoid them because there is no market timing model out there that truly works. Once you've accepted those realities, planning for your financial future really isn't as difficult as you would think. And that's really what this show is all about. Now, today, I'm going to share with you a personal story. This is something that just recently happened. I would like to tell you it's the only time it's happened, but it hasn't. If you work with enough families like we do at my office in Cincinnati, Matson and Capril, you're going to have situations like this. And the challenge for me as an advisor is, well, personally, not to take it all that personal, which is hard because I truly, deeply care about the people with whom I work. And when a situation such as this arises, it disturbs me at a number of levels. Now, I've learned to deal with this. I guess you can call it I've developed some calluses over time. It's part of the business. But nonetheless, it doesn't make me feel good when it occurs. And I want to share with you this story as much as I can because confidentiality, I can't get really too specific. So I'll be talking in generalities. About two months ago, a longtime client of mine, more than 15 years, called me to express some concern. He is approaching retirement age. And at that point in time, large U.S. stocks were doing well, but his overall portfolio returns were not. Now, I had had numerous discussions with him over the last 15, 16 years about how diversification works and why you can't track success just based on the large U.S. stock market. Of course, that's usually what we always hear about when we listen to the news, how the market do. They're only talking about one sector most of the time, unless you listen very, very carefully. And so his discussions with me had largely been about the fact that his portfolio was not keeping up with the Dow. Another part of the problem in working with him and this is no longer a problem for me because I don't take clients under this basis anymore, but at the time that he had sought our help, he had money in two other places, two other advisors, and we agreed to take him on regardless. Now, that's not something I do anymore. I'm of the mindset that more than one advisor will cause problems for you, and this, in my opinion, is a classic example of that. And if I have any remorse, 
it's probably the fact that I allowed for this type of three-tiered advisory relationship to exist with him without really understanding what was truly going to be in his best interest. The strategies that he had adopted amongst the three of us were all very different. Mine is one based hard in academic principle. We will typically put our clients in numerous asset classes based on their long-term needs. And as a client gets older, I am very concerned about protecting the downside. I definitely want them to get an upside. And I think exposure to equities almost always makes sense. But I don't want to get overly volatile with this portfolio simply because when markets go down and you are retired and you are selling shares to live on, well, when markets go down, you have to sell even more shares to break even. And even though markets typically come back, those extra shares that you sold, they are gone. So average return is not nearly as important as consistency of return when you are investing during your retirement years. And this individual was on the doorstep of that. So whenever I get a question like that or a concern expressed to me about returns, I will always ask the client, what is their perception? So if somebody says to me, you know, my portfolio is not doing well, I always ask him, well, explain to me how you've reached that conclusion. Now, in his case, he was up for the year, but he wasn't up nearly as high as the top performing asset class, which was in his portfolio. So whatever the Dow was doing at the time, and I can't even recall what it was, because short-term returns really are not all that important when we're investing in the long run, his overall portfolio was less than that. But of course, that percentage of his portfolio, which was in large US stocks, which is what the Dow tracks, he was getting the exact same return. And that's because my philosophy is always to put people in asset class funds, index-like funds. I don't believe in beating market averages. I believe in giving you market averages because to defeat market averages, you must have a time machine and no one has a time machine. So what was at play here was the fact that his other two portfolios were heavily weighted in large U.S. stocks. Mine was not. Now, if you're going to invest for the short run, diversification, especially if you want to hit a high rate of return, may not be the way to go. Because diversification by its definition assures you a level of, well, for lack of a better term, blandness. It's boring, but over time, it's the best thing we have that works because it allows us to minimize negative years, minimize negative moments. And I try to convey this to him, as I have many, many times, that if you're going to look at the short-term results, then I'm not going to be of much help to you. I've used this analogy many times in the past, and I'm sure I've used it on this show. But when I was a student at the University of Iowa, and I would leave for home at the end of the spring semester, the corn was rather low. And there's a lot of corn on the way to Cedar Rapids, which is where the airport was. And when I would return in the fall, it was dramatic how much higher the corn was. Now, logically, you know, corn's going to grow erratically. It's going to be based largely on the weather. You have to, as if you're a farmer, you have to trust the process because in the short run, the results don't always look like they're working. 
So here we are talking with this client about a portfolio that quite frankly has 15,000 holdings. It's global. It has a fair amount of fixed income, short-term government and corporate bonds, and it has quite a bit of equities. But those equities are broken out between large companies, small companies, U.S. and international. And this year, even while the U.S. market was doing great up until recently, international stocks were not. Now, last year, 2017, international stocks were phenomenal. Now, again, nobody has a crystal ball on this stuff. So you buy, hold, and rebalance those asset classes. And there is a lot of thought and, and strategy into what those percentages need to be. But when you have a diversified portfolio, and I've talked about this on prior episodes, you are going to be disappointed often in the short run. In the long run, I contend you will be wonderfully happy if you do it right. It's always been the case in working with clients. I mean, to me, there's nothing more beautiful than having a client who gives us a million dollars to manage. And over a number of years, we give them back a million dollars in income and they still have a million dollar portfolio. That's a beautiful thing. But I assure you that is never done with getting the same rate of return each and every year. So having had this conversation with this client for many years, because again, what happens is he gets his quarterly reports and he compares mine to the other two. And he draws conclusions based on those short-term results. I contended with him that that's not a logical maneuver because we're dealing clearly with apples to apples. Now, if he wanted to compare the large U.S. stock holdings in the other advisors' portfolios to the large U.S. stock holdings in my portfolio, well, that's a fair comparison. But to compare the entire portfolios the same, well, if anything, it's always just going to give you a distorted view in regards to who is up. So we had this talk for a while. And then finally, I said to him, look, here's what it comes down to. Who do you trust? I don't think having three advisors makes a lot of sense because it is natural as humans for us to be disappointed about our portfolio and to worry. And when we worry, we are often motivated to make changes. When we are uncomfortable, when we are in pain, that's when we want to make changes. And very often those changes are not in our best interest. And that's what I'm afraid happens with this client. I was not as conciliatory, maybe, as he wanted me to be. I don't think at all I was defensive. But I certainly was passionate that he should do the right thing. And I said to him, I said, look, if I'm not that person, I can accept that. But you owe it to yourself to have just one advisor, not three. When you have three advisors, it's like having three cardiologists operate on you at the same time. All three of those guys get paid. You die. So I really think it's time for you to make a decision and to move forward. What I wasn't about to do was to dramatically change his portfolio mix. It would not have been in his best interest to do so as he had described to me his goals. I will not chase short-term returns just to make a client happy because I know in the long run that won't work. I have to protect the client against bad years as well as give them opportunities for good years. And sadly, too often, clients fail to see that. Whenever a prospective new client comes to see me and they mention the fact that they are working with somebody else but they'd like a change, the first question I always ask is why? 
And if I hear it's because of returns, I will get skeptical. Now, that's not to say that some advisors are doing a poor job as it relates to diversifying their clients. I mean, if someone said to me, well, I'm unhappy with returns because he's constantly doing a lot of buying and selling, putting me in five or six stocks, and he never really seems to know what he's doing, and I've lost a lot of money. Okay, that is clearly imprudent investing bordering on malpractice. But if it's more a situation, because I had in another case, where the client was unhappy with their returns because they were in a very conservative portfolio, and all stock markets were going great, and I asked them, I said, well, have you always been in this very conservative portfolio? And she said, no. I told him to do that after President Trump was elected, and I thought the markets were going to crash. Aha. <laughs> I said, so you're the reason that the portfolio changed, not him, right? And she said, yes. But then she said, but, you know, it's been nine months. Shouldn't he have made a change at that point? And I laughed. I said, no, absolutely not. Nine months is not very long, and you told him what you wanted. Now, where he made a mistake, quite frankly, is he gave in to you. He should have said to you, in my opinion, no. If you want to do that, fine, you have to fire me. And that's essentially what I did with this client. I told them, look, this is the right mix for you. Given what you want to do, what you're looking to accomplish in your retirement, this, in my professional opinion, is the right mix. And if you want something different, fine. I'm sure there are many people out there that will do it for you. Now, listen, I'm not going to be arrogant enough to suggest that he's going to now reach financial ruin. I pray he does not. But what I want us all to understand that it is very easy for any advisor to cave in. It's very easy for any advisor to say, oh, yeah, I got a better way right here. You know, if you're the reason that the advisor is recommending change, in other words, if your complaints are what motivating the advisor to change, you have to ask yourself the question, if this was the right thing to do, why wouldn't he have told me before I asked him? Isn't that a good question to ask? I mean, if there's a better medicine out there for cholesterol, and I take medicine for cholesterol, wouldn't it be great for my doctor to call me first rather than me have to call him? Of course. That's what I would expect. And you should expect that too with your investing. When advisors make changes simply for the sake of making changes to keep you happy, they are not advisors any longer. They have become salespeople. And that, my friends, is not in your best interest. You know, there's many good reasons to fire your advisor. He ignores you. He lies to you. He won't get back to you. Returns, in my opinion, need to be examined very, very carefully. Now, there are a lot of imprudent investment strategies out there that do lead to bad returns, and you need to be careful about that. But when a portfolio is very well diversified, and a good advisor is going to explain to you how that works, you have to accept the returns as they come. It's part of the game. I really wish we could avoid it. I really wish that we could have 8 9% every single year. Although, you know what? There was a time during the tech boom where we had clients who were very unhappy because even though they were getting 12%, technology was getting 70% and their friends were all in tech. <laughs> it's funny how we forget that now, but that was real too. So I want to share this with you largely because I want you to understand that a good advisor is one who's going to stick to the recommendations if they truly feel it's in your best interest. They're going to make sure 
that you operate in a very prudent manner. They're going to insist upon it. So much so that they're willing to lose you as a client if you're not willing to do it that way. And that's what me and Nikki are. We're like that. We feel there's a right way to do it. We explain it to the client. If the client agrees going forward, we're going to hold to that strategy. We're not being arrogant. We're being prudent. Because I do not believe that markets can be timed. I do not believe that there's a crystal ball out there. I do not believe that just because a particular sector was up 8% last month, it's going to be up 8% this month. It won't. There is no real thing as momentum when it comes to returns. A great year can end on a dime. A piece of horrible bad news, something as simple as an act of terrorism in New York City, can cause markets to tumble in the short run. It's not a game we want to play with our clients, and I won't do it. All right, so enough of my soapboxing. I want to share that with you. And before we get into this week's show, let's start off with our disclaimer. There's an excellent chance I do not know you, which means please take what I'm about to share with you as education, not as direct advice for you. Utilize your advisor for that. And you know what? If your advisor is a good one, listen to him or her. Now, if you'd like for us to be your advisor, we'd be happy to do that. We'll tell you everything about our wealth coaching program and our retirement rescue plan and how we show people a very holistic way. We look at all of their financial situations and we develop a very well-designed, scripted plan that's not relied on things like market timing and stock picking or anything like that. And we work on ways to cut your taxes and look at ways to maximize your insurance dollars and, and make sure that your estate plan is effective before you go see the attorney. If you'd like to know more about that, then please feel free to reach out. Area code 513-563-7526 is our number. Or you can email me, dancapril at matsonandcapril.com. So for today's puzzle of the month, I want to take this issue of returns that I was discussing previously and discuss how returns are affected by election results. Now, I try not to be obviously political in this show, but listen, it's going to come out. So I want you to all know full disclosure here. I am a supply side economic conservative. In fact, I am conservative in a lot of areas. All right. Having said that, I do not view people from the other side of the aisle as evil. I think at the end of the day, most of us, not all, but most of us want the same thing. We want a good life for ourselves. We want a good life for our family. And yeah, we want our country to do well. Where we tend to disagree a little bit is on how we go about doing that. There was a time in my life where I was extremely liberal. And now probably since I was about 23, 24, I started to read the books of Milton Friedman and took a slightly different bent on life. But nonetheless, we're all citizens of this great country. It is without a doubt the greatest country in the world. If you don't believe me, go travel. <laughs> but we recently just had an election. And in this election, we had a change in Congress, slight change. The House of Representatives is now controlled by the Democrats. 
The Senate is still controlled by the Republicans. In fact, as I record this, they're still counting votes, but I think it's pretty safe that the Republicans will hold serve in the Senate. And of course, President Trump, who, you know, candid with you, is no real conservative. I mean, he could just as easily have run as a Democrat if he wanted to, given some of his expressed beliefs in the past. And let's face it, he's not an ideologue, right? So he can go both ways. But in any event, he is a Republican. So now that the House has turned over and Nancy Pelosi apparently is going to be the Speaker of the House, the obvious question is, how is this going to affect me? How is this going to affect my money? How is this going to affect my returns? Because we've just seen markets take a little bit of a drop here. And is this challenge that we're going to have here, are politics going to get in the way of me and my savings? All right, so let's first go back to a little bit of history. Usually if I ask people which of the two parties they feel is most business friendly, naturally most people will typically say Republicans. Republicans have been generally described as the party of big business. However, you must know that big business supports both candidates. It's what they do. They want to be on the winning side no matter what. And some industries clearly favor one party more than the other. So the energy sector, tobacco, they clearly will favor Republicans more, whereas technology tends to favor Democrats more. But it may surprise you to know that even though most people perceive Republicans as being more business friendly, that the stock markets have typically done much better under Democrats. Now, I don't think there's a cause and effect here. I just think that it's the reality that it really doesn't matter too much who's in office. And markets move randomly, returns move randomly. And if you only have two choices, one is naturally going to do better than the other. But to simply say that a Democrat president or a Democrat Congress translates into high market returns just isn't true. We've had major bull markets and bear markets under both types of administrations. In some cases, it's been a matter of timing. Herbert Hoover was in office when the market took its big tumble back in 1929. George W. Bush was in office when the market took its big tumble in 2007. But clearly, Ronald Reagan had some great boom years. And there have been some Democrats, Jimmy Carter, for example, who's had some bad years. So it kind of goes both ways. So here we are now. We've got a split Congress, so to speak. And the question is, how is that going to affect my returns? Am I going to be disappointed? Well, you have to understand that the geniuses that created this country via the Constitution, they never wanted a king. They could have gone that route. Wouldn't have been hard at all for them to go that route. I think the people would have fell in line just fine. Now, they didn't like anyone having absolute power. So they decided we're going to create a form of government that by design is going to move extremely slowly, very slowly. There's going to be so many checks and balances. It's going to be very hard for anyone to do much without major league consensus. You, know, you can't even change the Constitution without, I believe, 67 states to approve it. Might be wrong about that, but I'm pretty sure that's the case. You can't convict a president and get him out of office unless you get 67 senators. So they clearly saw the politics at play. They did not want to have one party in control. They wanted a lot of checks and balances. And quite frankly, they wanted things to move slow. Now, I have always been of the belief that the government that governs best is the government that governs the least. So even though I was thrilled to see this latest tax cut bill go in place, although I am a little bit concerned about fiscal spending, 
I knew that a reduction in taxes would result in an economic boom. And that's exactly what it's done. We have essentially full employment now in this country. Well, the markets have just taken a recent drop, but the economy overall is doing great. I'm recording this today from outside of Nashville, Tennessee, and there's construction going on everywhere. We didn't see a lot of that 10 years ago, but we're starting to see it now. So that part is in place. If you were to ask me what I think is going to happen politically over the next two years, my answer is not much. I really don't think there's going to be much. Spending bills must be initiated in the House. There's very little that the House of Representatives is going to approve, that the Senate is going to like, or that the President is going to improve, approve. But with maybe one exception, and that would be infrastructure spending. Clearly, we have a need for improvements in bridges and highways. In Cincinnati, where I live, there's an infamous bridge called the Brett Spence Bridge. It connects I-75, which is a major artery. I-75 goes all the way down into Miami and goes all the way up into northern Michigan, the Upper Peninsula. It'll even take you into Canada. I believe it goes into Canada. The Ohio River, that means there's one bridge that crosses it, and that bridge is incredibly disrepair. In fact, I like to tease people as I take them over that bridge. We're about middle way through it. I like to point out that it's probably one of the most dangerous bridges in the United States. That bridge desperately needs to be rebuilt, replaced. It's going to take infrastructure spending. I believe the Brett Spence Bridge is number two on the list nationally of the most important projects. And there's others around the country. I mean, where you are, I'm sure you see examples of great needs in infrastructure. So I think that is probably one area where you're going to see some cooperation. Short of that, I don't imagine much will happen. I really don't think we're going to see the level of investigations that the pundits are claiming they're going to be there, largely because if you do, in my opinion, get overly focused on investigations politically, it can hurt you. So if the House of Representatives, which really has no power other than to hold meetings, you know, they can certainly subpoena people, but they don't have the ability to do much beyond that. They can certainly vote to impeach using a majority vote. But as you may recall from Bill Clinton's era, that then goes to the Senate and the Senate is Republican. So it's highly unlikely that you would ever see the president you know, convicted unless, of course, there was really something major that we don't know about. All right. So what does all this mean for your money? My thought is probably not a whole heck of a lot. Now, there are going to be things that are going to occur. They're going to affect your portfolio. But I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. Not at all. I think that, in fact, if government produces less legislation over these next couple of years, that probably will be a good thing. So while given my choice, I wouldn't vote for a divided government because I'll always want my side in control. But as long as my side has half the power or slightly more, at worst, you're just going to see gridlock. And gridlock is not a bad thing when it comes to politics. Not at all. What has made this country great is the fact that we have allowed private industry to lead it. And gridlock means less regulations, less taxes. And therefore, I'm actually quite optimistic about what's to transpire here. So I want to caution you for that. I don't get too caught up in the news of the day. 
everything that could happen is already factored into the news. It's what we don't know that are going to move markets. So getting back to what we were saying previously about returns and expectations, it's very easy when you see the political landscape change to think maybe I need to do something because now we've got a completely different government. No, no, I wouldn't recommend that you do that at all. Whatever issues we have now, we've had issues like this in the past. These storms shall be weathered. But I actually think eventually after maybe the first few months, you will see some major cooperation between the House, the Senate, and the president as it regards to infrastructure spending. Issues like dealing with illegal immigration, chances are you won't see much there from a legislation standpoint. Clearly, I think the president holds a lot of the cards there because he's in charge of enforcing the existing rules. And so you might see some things happen there. But it is interesting when it comes to this issue of immigration because, or illegal immigration, I should say, we've always been a pro-immigrant country and will always be provided it's done legally. But you don't have to go back very far. I mean, you can find this on YouTube. You know, go on Google and type in Bill Clinton, illegal immigration, or Harry Reid, illegal immigration, or Barbara Jordan, illegal immigration. And you will see very famous Democrats talking about the need to control illegal immigration because it hurts us in many, many ways. Now, I think what has happened politically is the Democrats have seen that these Immigrants coming in, whether they're here illegally or not, are a new voting block. And I think that's why they've changed their message. In the past, Democrats were always strong against any type of illegal immigration because they felt it was hurting union workers. And now it seems as if they've changed their tune on that. So again, not trying to judge, just trying to give some basic observations. So Best advice I can give you as far as the political landscape is, it's really as big of a deal as we think it's going to be. If this means we'll have less legislation, fine. Certain things, like if one of the Supreme Court justices passes away, well, nothing changes there too. The Senate's going to approve it. Really, thanks in part to Harry Reid and the Democrats, it really only takes now 51 votes to approve that. So that should move along fairly quickly, depending on how, what you feel that's good or bad. It's not the point. The point is, is that's the rules in which we have going forward. So focus on the bigger parts of life. When I meet with clients, the focus of the discussions very rarely on returns. The focus is, are they going to be okay? Do they have enough? Despite the returns, is there going to be enough? We never expect returns to be consistent year in, year out. We expect there to be volatility. So when it happens, don't be surprised. And now it's time for our puzzle solver segment. And this is where I give you, the listener, homework. To me, it's not enough to listen. I want you to start taking some action. Well, in this particular puzzle solver assignment, I'm actually going to give you stuff to listen to and read. Because what I'm about to share with you is some of the most well-explained ideas on investments and investment strategies. And I think even though they're about, well, let's see, 2010, so we're looking at eight years old, I'm about to share with you, it's just as vital today. So in around 2009, 2010, two men, Dan Goldie and Gordon Murray, wrote a book called The Investment Answer. Now, sadly, when he wrote this book, Gordon Murray knew that he was dying. And he and Dan worked together in the last six months of Gordon's life to get this book out. Now, it's a very short book. It's brilliant, and it's a book that I give people very often. So what I've done is on the website. So if you go to mattsonandcapril.com and you click on podcasts, 
and you go to today's podcast, which is episode number 144, you're going to be able to click on two things. One is going to be a link that's going to take you to an article and an interview of the author before his death that talks about the book. And then the second thing is you're going to get a much longer interview with Dan Goldie that appeared on another show. So these are going to be two different profiles, if you will, on the book and on the authors and on their message. Let me put it to you this way. I can't emphasize enough what they say, and I do it a lot on this show. So I want you to go ahead, click on both of those. One is an article and an interview from CBS News. The other is, I believe it was a podcast or radio show interview done by Jordan Goodman. So again, matsoncapril.com if you're listening to this on iTunes. Capril is spelled C-U-P-R-I-L-L. And just go to podcasts and you'll be able to find it there. It's time for the mailbag. We want to hear from you. Today's question of the month comes from Louise from Franklin, Tennessee. And Louise says, in light of the recent market volatility, how do I know the best way to rebalance my portfolio? Oh, Louise, I love this question. You are an informed investor. Congratulations to you. All right, rebalancing. So let's be sure we're clear what we mean by rebalancing. If you are a diversified investor, which I strongly recommend you be, when you start off, you're going to have certain percentages in various asset classes. Maybe you have a 10% in large U.S. Maybe you have 15% in small. Maybe you have 30% in fixed income. Maybe you have 15% in large international. Hopefully, you are picking that allocation based on your understanding of what long-term risk and returns are of those asset classes and how those translate from a volatility standpoint. Now, if that's not the case, if you're just picking percentages and hoping they add up to 100%, well, please, there's more to do that, and I'll be more than happy to share that with you if you ever want to reach out to me, 513-563-7526. However, assuming that is the case, Louise, so assuming that you... You went in with this idea that I've got you know, 10% in large U.S. for a good reason. And let's just say hypothetically you've got 40 50% in fixed income. All right. If you looked at your statement now, now I generally recommend rebalancing be done once a year. You can do it quarterly. Most studies will show you there isn't a whole lot of difference between quarterly and annually. So you know, if you want to do it on your birthday, that's fine. So if you looked at your portfolio today, Louise, and let's say your target percentage for U.S. large U.S. was 10%, and now it's only 7%, well, obviously, for it to be down to 7%, one of your other target asset classes has to be above. Now, it might be two or three that collectively are 3% above their targeted rate. But what you want to do now is you want to first identify where you're under, where you're over by asset class. And then you want to move money from those asset classes where you're over into those that you're under. So let's go real simple. Let's say you only had two asset classes. I hope that's not the case, but let's say you do. Let's say you just have large U.S. and short-term U.S. bonds, and you were at 50-50. And now you're at 53% bonds and 47% stocks. Well, what I would want you to do is take 3% from bonds and put it into stocks. And that's going to get you to 50-50. Now, understand when we do this, we're actually forcing ourselves to buy something that is low, right? Isn't that the whole idea? Buy low and then someday sell high? Because when the stocks move up, 
now suddenly you're 55% stocks and 45% bonds. Guess what, Louise? We're going to do the opposite. We're going to move money from one over to the other. All right. The important thing is for you to understand what your targeted percentages need to be. So right now, as I'm recording this in November of 2018, we definitely have seen some negative returns along equities across the board. If you're not taking advantage of this, if you're not taking advantage of this by rebalancing, in my opinion, you're making a very, very serious mistake. And if you work with an advisor, this is something they should be doing for you automatically. So I hope that helps. So that concludes this month's episode of Solving the Financial Puzzle. We covered a great deal. I apologize if I was a little bit overly passionate in the beginning, but that's just me. That's the way I feel about things. And I'm not going to change. So you should work with people who are passionate about what they do and why they do it. Otherwise, all you're doing is working with a salesperson who really probably doesn't care if he does it right or wrong as long as you pay him. And that's not the way I operate or a lot of my colleagues who are very good at what they do. So I hope you all have a wonderful holiday season. I will be back before the Christmas season, but hopefully by then we'll have a lot of interesting news to talk about that will be maybe more good news rather than what we've had lately, which hasn't been nearly as good. But I wish you all the best and thank you for listening to Solving the Financial Puzzle. Thanks for tuning in to Solving the Financial Puzzle. If you want to find out more about Dan Capril or about today's topic, visit matsonandcapril.com. And be sure to join us for the next edition of Solving the Financial Puzzle. Information provided on today's show is provided for information purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Always consult with an investment, legal, or tax professional before taking any action. Dan Capril is an investment advisor representative of NPM Wealth Advisors and Capril Wealth Coaching, LLC. Both firms are registered investment advisors. To obtain a copy of Form ADV and a private policy statement for either firm, call 800-353-7923.